This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some beast talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 162 of the Skate Podcast. I am Brian Felice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. And a great win for the Bruins tonight out in Dallas, 3-2 in overtime. Um, you know, there was definitely some things that weren't so great in this game. Namely, the, the power play continues to struggle and some other things we'll get to. But by and large, on the other side of the special teams was the penalty kill. The penalty kill was huge for Boston tonight, especially in overtime. And they were able to find a win. And against the top team in the West in Dallas, obviously the Bruins are the top team in the East and in the NHL. So I just think they've been struggling of late to, to find wins sandwiched around the the midseason break. And I think this was a great win for the Bruins to catapult them forward, hopefully. Yeah, like a real character win. Um, you know, they I thought, thought they had a great first period. They would shoot Dallas 15 to 6, were really on the front foot. And yet they get to the intermission 1-1. Uh, you know, second period doesn't go as well. They're down 2-1 going to the third. Uh, and just keep battling. And, you know, big goal from Pavel Zaka to tie it. Another great shot that we've, you know, we've seen a few of those from him now. And then Zaka makes another great play in overtime uh, to win it, starting the breakout. Um getting it over to McAvoy and then McAvoy sets up Pasternak for the one-time finish. And, you know, you mentioned the penalty kill right before that couple saves from Ulmark, Carlo and Forbert were out for the entire four and three kill. Um, Forbert had a big block. So yeah, just a uh, all around big night. Uh, you know, Z- like I said, Zaka stepping up when you needed it continues a great season for him. He now has his career high in points um already so obviously just you know a great find for the Bruins to get him and extend him and he just keeps contributing keeps coming up and coming through in big moments yeah Zaka also was the only person who almost scored on the power play too like there were a lot of times where the Bruins power play didn't look good and then I think it was in the first period on the Bruins first power play Zaka rang the pipe and it was like okay that was the closest they came to having anything go in on the power play because um in the second and third period the power play just did not look uh like it was clicking at all but to the point about you know the Zaka extension <laughs> this is one thing that annoys me and you guys know that um sometimes I listen to like both stations and I hear people talking about the Bruins and I'm like what are you guys talking about ah and I hear the I hear people talking about Oh, you know, this is a horrible move. Should not have extended Pavel Zaka, paid too much for him, whatever. And this is one of those things where I'm like, you guys have, like, it's your opinion, whatever. But that is just, like, based on nothing at all. Like, you clearly don't watch him play. You haven't watched how he's played since he got extended or before he got extended. Um, And really, he just proves his value 
uh, more and more ever since he got extended, just proving that it was the right move. So that's one of those things about like, I'm glad, I hope people listen to what we say <laughs> um, because we're not just like saying stuff to like get you angry. <laughs> like um, that's what bothers me about talk radio sometimes, but uh, it's just inflammatory stuff. But like the Pavel Zaka thing, no, he's, he's good. It's a great move to extend him. He can play center. He can play on whatever line. He can play the wing, whatever. Um, and he had another great game. That's my rant. I, I definitely agree with everything you said, Bridget. I, I will say I feel like Zaka uh, going forward, like not necessarily this year, but, you know, probably next year and the year after and the the, the other the rest of his extension in Boston, he's going to have to get a little bit better in the faceoff circle if they want to rely on him as an actual centerman. I feel like he's kind of – and maybe his – I'm not looking at his faceoff percentage, but it, I just feel like it's not been that great when he has taken draws this year. So he would have to improve on that. But between the whistles, like besides that, like he's been such a pleasant surprise, I guess, for the Bruins. Like I think, I mean, he's surpassed his career total of points already, you know, and it's uh, what, like 50 games into the year, 52, three, something like that. So, um, yeah, awesome player for them. Ties the game, like like Scott mentioned, and um, helps lead to the overtime winner for Pasternak. Um, but jumping back a couple of periods, Another player who kind of got off the schneid for Boston was Taylor Hall. Um, it was a great individual effort by Taylor Hall in the neutral zone to, you know, regroup. Um, and then he found Krejci with a with a nice pass through traffic. And then Krejci gives it to Lindholm. Nice saucer pass into the zone. Lindholm draws two guys and then leaves Hall all alone in front. He's able to finally uh, find a twine there. So um, how did you guys feel like he played? Um, goal included, and then obviously outside of the goal tonight. Yeah, really well. I thought he was noticeable uh, throughout the game, and obviously that that goal as as the highlight. Um, but I thought he was good when he was up with uh, Krejci and Zaka to start the game. I thought he was good when he ended up back with Coyle and Frederick later in the game. Uh, you know, more line juggling from Montgomery. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a good game for Taylor Hall and one that he needed because, you know, we've talked about how points haven't really been there. Um, you know, slight uptick over the last few games, but definitely like this is the way you need to see him play more consistently. Um, you know, I thought he didn't really make the most of an opportunity to kind of move back up in the lineup with DeBrusque out. you know, didn't, like we, we kind of felt like, you know, that was the luxury of being able to have Taylor Hall on the third line is like, well, he's obviously a top six forward. You know, if a top six forward goes down, you just move him right up and didn't really quite work that way. And Montgomery ended up having to make a lot more changes and move some different guys into top six roles. And it, it does seem like Hall is probably at his most comfortable in that third line role right now. And, you know, ideally like he would be able to move back up and just pick right up and contribute as a top six caliber forward. But if it takes, you know, having him on the third line to kind of get him going again or whatever, then, then so be it. But, you know, a play like the one that he made, I mean, that came during a shift with Krejci, obviously, as you mentioned, um, you know, that's who he passes over to at the line and then keeps going to get to the net front. And it's, like he can make plays like that no matter who he's playing with or should be able to. So, um, 
yeah, good game overall for him. And obviously that goal stands out as the highlight. Yeah, he went to the net and Lindholm made a really good play to draw the defender, go back behind and then and drop it out to him out in front, like right, right in the crease. And he, and he did what he needed to do with the puck. He lifted it, um, got it over. I, I thought that the, the line shuffling today was something that was noticeable throughout the game. Um, well, it's actually kind of what sparked that that second goal to tie it. Um, when you when you look back, it was a shift Pasternak with the fourth line because you're, you're like, okay, well, they're double shifting him here. He comes in, Greer spot on a shift. Next thing you know, first line's out there with Greer <laughs> and then Pasternak's back out there with a check line and that's the line that ends up scoring the game tying goal. And you, But you felt the momentum starting when Poster was on with the fourth line, like the two shifts before you could see things kind of ramping up and they were coming and they were attacking. And then all of a sudden the check line's able to put it in. So the, the like little tweaks in the line changing to try to just get that spark when they weren't, wait, they didn't really have it at all in the second period, parts of the third, like early in the third, they were having struggles too. So um, that the way that he switched the lines kind of sparked uh, that, that game tying goal. It's a great observation, Bridget. I, I was actually saying that to Scott um, before before you were on. We were recording. I said the same thing. It's like uh, that shift with AJ Greer with Bergeron and Marchand, which I love how you call that the top line, and 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 I do as well, and I think Scott would as well. But Bergeron and Marchand, they have. I was again. We we're talking about this before. They have five points combined dating back to November. Um, yeah, November, January twenty uh, second against San Jose um, five points combined in their last 16 combined games. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of felt like that line shuffling in the, in the third was more so to kind of see if you can get those two guys going like, cause they just, they're snake bitten. And I don't know what you guys feel about that. Like, look, obviously what th- there's, this is not a problem. I'm trying to find a solution to like, there's no solution to Bergeron and Martian. Like they're, they're, they're early players. Like it's, it's, I'm, it's on a concern of mine. It's just a it's just a midseason observation that that objectively they are struggling to score points right now. Yeah, and zero points between them over the last five games. I think it's now six games without a point for Bergeron. Um, DeBrusque should be back on Thursday. It, that's what all indications are. That will help for sure. I do think they've missed him. You know they they both put up some points like right after he went out that West coast trip, but that was against a lesser competition. This stretch now of facing top teams before the all-star break. And now coming out of the break with Washington and Dallas. Um, yeah, they've, they've struggled a little bit. The offense hasn't been there like at all. So, uh, to doesn't single-handedly fix that. Like that. I do think you need more from Bergeron and Marsh. And, and to your point, it's like, it's really hard to worry about those guys to any extent. Um, but it's not, it's not, it's also not the first time we've seen the five and five production not be there for them this season. And, you know, early in the year, we chalked it up to, well, Martian's just coming back and it's going to take him a while to get going, um, which was fair. And I think absolutely, you know, part of the reason for it, but it's like, okay, well, now you're into the swing of it. Now you're through all-star break. Like, I, I don't really think we feel like Marchand is still not himself or is still building back up or anything like that. So now you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, this is just 
a legitimate slump and it can happen. It's not worth panicking over, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it has stretched on a little bit longer than, than you would like. And we'll see if DeBrusque returning can spark them. Uh, it, it was a little odd that, you know, putting Pasenak there really didn't spark them. Like I thought that line was, I tweeted it out after the first period the Bruins were actually getting out attempted nine to three when that line was on the ice. And it was like 18 to seven with any other lot in favor of the Bruins uh, with any other line on the ice. Yeah. It, I, I don't know if it, it too goes back to like Bergeron's usually very effective at the dot, but hasn't been recently. And I'm just looking at the, the Dallas stats um, and he was only 30%. I mean, he lost 21 faceoffs in one nine. That is very unbergeron like. Uh, and the team as a whole, usually a, above, you know, 500 at, at the dot, uh, you know, above 50% most nights, they're at 19% in the Dallas game. Uh, Pavelski was killing them. Uh, and usually, I mean, that's uncharacteristic. Most of the Bruins centers are very good. Krejci, Ber- uh, Bergeron are guys that are usually very reliable. Um, but they, they just weren't, uh, crazy didn't take too many face-offs, but he was still only 11%. Like it, (laughs) it was, it's crazy to look at the numbers. It just doesn't look like what they usually look like. When we discuss players that are struggling to score, one thing that Scott often leans to is if they're at least getting their chances, right? Do you feel like they're at least getting their chances? I know later in this game, uh, Lindholm found Marshane right in front of the net and it just kind of squeaked off his stick and it could have been the eventual game winning goal. Um, but I guess, I'll, I, so I guess I'll throw it back to you guys. Do you at least feel like they're getting chances? No, n- not really, especially not tonight. Um, Bergeron and Marshane each only had one shot on goal. Looking at shot attempts, Bergeron had one shot attempt at five on five. Marshane had two, so... No, they're, they're not even, at least tonight, I, you know, I have to go back through recent games, but I feel like there's probably been a few games like this where even just the shot attempts and shots on goal have been low. They're, they're playing low event hockey. Like, they're not giving up much either, which is, you know, that's what you expect from those guys. Like, they're not going to get pinned in their own zone, chasing play, having a million shots against them. Um, but... Yeah, right now there's just not a whole lot happening when they're on the ice either way. Um, so, you know, you need to see them uh, start to generate more offense. And, you know, maybe it has to be kind of more ugly shots. Maybe just throw it on net and, and start to, you know, feel the puck hitting the goalie, get some rebounds or something. Like, really, really dumb it down. Really make it simple because what they're doing right now isn't really working. No, no, it's not. And I did think that, you know, having Pasternak on that line was going to help them. Well, Pasta had eight shots, but then, like you mentioned, the stats for the other two, uh, only one and two shots. Derek Forbert had more shots than both Marshawn and Bergeron. So um, he had the same amount as them combined. So uh, you don't want that. You don't want Derek Forbert to have more shots than Marshawn in a game. Uh, not saying you don't want him to shoot, but you, you just want to see them with higher uh, number of opportunities. And I know Scott usually has his advanced stats up in front of him with his high danger chances and, and whatnot, but um, no, I didn't think they did look all that effective offensively. Um, 
I, because we don't have, we have kind of a limited time. Do you guys want to talk about maybe bottom six and then, uh, you know, some of the defensive breakdowns that happen on the, the Dallas goals? Well, I mean, bottom six, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like those guys were some sp- were spark plugs for these guys, for the Bruins tonight. I thought, I thought Loco had a good bounce back performance. I thought AJ Greer played well all night. I thought Frederick, um, you know, I, I think Fre- we, we've talked about this in the past few episodes. I feel like Frederick has lost a bit of his offensive confidence just from being further down in the lineup. And, um, but I thought he competed too. So I, um, I thought the bottom six was, uh, was up to the task tonight against a, a big physical Dallas team. Yeah. Especially that fourth line of, Greer, Frederick, and Loco, you know, first off, you know, some kind of a nice nod of confidence from Montgomery to go back to them, uh, you know, not try to have Sweeney call someone else up or whatever, because that line basically got, basically the entire line got benched for a period, and Loco wound up benched for the second half of the game. Um, I thought all of them responded well, especially Loco. We know, you know, it was, his turnover that led to the second goal against Washington thought he had a really strong game against Dallas. Um, Greer had some chances. Like the, he almost the whole scored line. when he was up on the Bergeron line. So yeah, like that whole, that whole line just played well and really kind of responded exactly the way you want, because it's something like that. Like, I know, you know, when I tweeted out that like Glauco had gotten bench or whatever, people were like, Oh, it's Bruce Cassidy bag. Like, you know, this is like a Cassidy move, right? You make a mistake, you get benched. And, uh, you know, sometimes with Cassidy, we would see guys not really respond to that and play kind of timid the next time out. And I didn't think that's what this line did. Like, I thought they responded the right way and play with some aggression. And, you know, you mentioned energy, Brian, like brought plenty of it. I have a question about, Craig Smith, because Craig Smith was kind of the odd man out in some of these changes in the third where you're moving, you know, you're moving Pasenak around, which moves a few other pieces around. And, and Craig Smith ends up not getting a shift for a little bit while they're changing the lines uh, up to try to get things going. What did you guys think of Smith? I just feel like he's kind of he's just lost in the shuffle. I, he's just not. The effort's always there, but there's no role for him on a specific line. He's not producing. Um, I, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but he, he's just kind of a body out there. I don't really. It, it's kind of. I don't know. I feel bad because he's like, he, he he when he first came to Boston a couple of years ago, like he was a 20 goal scorer in Nashville, um, predominantly over his career, and I believe he may have put up 20 that year for the Bruins too, or close, to, or at least on pace for it. If it was a full 82 game season, I don't know, but, um, so he has that, he has that scoring touch. I just feel like things just seem to be happening too quick for him out there, at least to be, to be finishing, um, from a point producing standpoint, but I don't know, Scott, how do you feel about him? Yeah, I think exactly what you said. Like that just doesn't, all season long, he's just struggled to find a home. And I think that continues, you know, he gets a chance to move up in the lineup with DeBrusque out. Doesn't really, isn't really able to take advantage. And I don't put that entirely on him. Like we mentioned, you know, Bergeron and Marchand aren't playing their best. Like maybe if they were that, that would have lifted Smith up and gotten him going. But the combination of like those two being a little off and then Smith kind of being off all year, it was just kind of doomed to, to not work. 
Um, then he gets moved back down. And like, I just, t- you know, the fourth line has been his most common home, but I just mentioned like Greer, Frederick Lauka were playing well. So you weren't really splitting that up. The only reason they split it up at any point was to get Frederick a couple shifts with uh coil and hall on, on the third line. So yet another way, like Smith just gets, gets shuffled out. Um, Pasenak's basically getting double shifted the entire third period. So there go a bunch of right wing shifts. I was, I was just looking Pasenak had 10 shifts in the third period, um, including, I think it was seven over the final 12 minutes. So he would like, it's basically like he gets off the ice 30 seconds. He's back on. Like it was, um, you know, clearly Montgomery was trying to get him out with the top two lines as much as possible. And then, to the point Bridger made earlier, like he also ended up with a shift on the fourth line and it's like, all right, well, there's fewer opportunities for Craig Smith to get on the ice. Yeah. He was someone that I, I just noticed he wasn't out there for, for a while. And, and um, he ended up with more minutes than Greer, but that's because that, that fourth line wasn't out there too much in early in the game. Um, now, do you guys want to talk a little bit about the defense? Because, um, on the two goals that the Bruins gave up, there were a few, um, you know, defensive breakdowns that, that led to it. Um, looking at that, that first goal, the, I believe it was the Robertson goal was the first goal or no, the Hintz goal was the first goal. Um, really, it, it all happened really fast. It was the perfection line out on the ice. Um, and it was Pasternak's guy. Hintz was Pasternak's guy. He didn't crash fast enough, but did, what else did you guys see on that play that they could have done better? Well, I think I think Dallas presents a ton of challenges for a lot of teams um, with their size and speed and transition. I think that's kind of what you saw in that situation. Um, I, I'm trying to think back exactly what happened. It kind of just seemed like he just broke through there, uh, and you know, I didn't love the goal either. Um, you know, Allmark just kind of let up the backhand on the ice. Didn't love either goal by Allmark, but I thought, I mean, he still played really well outside of those. Um, I think it was like a failed switch by Carlo and Krejci as as guys well, crossed and and they entered the zone yeah i think that one the robertson one for sure i know was carlo and Krejci, and that was just again but but i will say and i'll you know scott can give his two cents on on the goals i did i did think the bruins defense uh unit played really well against dallas tonight especially um in the defensive zone so like oh, the, the two goals were in transition we've, we've noted that in the d zone i thought that the bruins they were physical. Um, and I think they were up to the task. Like Dallas has a lot of big players. I know, you know, Mason Marshman, somebody who's out there running around. Um, so I, I thought from a physicality standpoint, um, Boston's decor rose to the occasion tonight. Um, but they got burned in transition a couple of times on those goals you mentioned. Yeah. And I mean that, that Robertson hence Pavelski line can make a lot of teams, uh, you know, can test a lot of defenses in transition or in the zone. Um, Brian, to your point, like I also think all Mark like has to take some blame for that. And, you know, we're recording like as post game is happening. So I don't know if all Mark talked after or not, uh, but I would imagine he would like, he, he got beat five hole along the ice on both of them. And, you know, those are goal and not from like s- super in close. Like they, you know, it's not like they were right on top of the crease. So I would imagine those are two goals that he wants to have back. And I think if he does make those saves or even one of them, then we're not really talking about like the 
defense getting burned. We're talking about, um, you know, like B caliber saves on decent chances. Um, but because they end up in the back of the net, then you notice, you know, where the breakdowns happen that allowed that. But again, that's a line that's going to create looks and like, you know, so I'm not, I'm not super concerned about the defense. I, I do. I agree with Brian. I think they played pretty well overall against a really good team. Um, and the two goals that they gave up weren't like the highest of grade eight chances. They were, they were decent looks that probably should have been saved. Yeah. And that Clifton had a great hit at the very end of the second period um, on Delandria, which was kind of funny. And it, I was literally as the, the horn sounded on the second, it was just a massive hit. Um, and he played well. Lindholm played well. Uh, to your point about Allmark and the Bruins defense, they killed off um, all the uh, penalties that they got, um, including part of a five on three. So it was four penalties they killed um, about a minute, just under a minute of five on three that they had to kill off. And then they have to kill off a penalty in overtime. And on all of those, the Bruins defense looks solid. Carlo Forbert looked good penalty killing. Um, and Allmark did a really good job in overtime. Uh, and at the end of the third to keep that from, you know, being over um, and letting Dallas score. See, ironically enough, I feel like as well as Boston's PK was tonight, watching Dallas's power play, despite not being able to score tonight, I was, I kept thinking to myself, like, that's, that's what the Bruins do when their power play is clicking. Like, you know, you'll see Robertson or, or, or Heiskanen just kind of like, Throwing at the net, you know, no, nothing, nothing crazy. Just create, just create a chance, create a scramble. Um, you know, they're looking for sticks down low and whatnot. And um, so, it, on the one hand, it was a great job by the Bruins to to kill those off, especially that extended five on three you mentioned, and of course the the four on three in overtime. But um, I, I think the Bruins, so the, good in the penalty on the PK unit. But I think I feel like the power play unit could just just take a couple of notes from a team like Dallas, because it's like, for Christ's sake, like the, the power play has been, it's been killing the Bruins at, at, at points in games over, over this over 20 over 21 stretch where it's like you, your power play absolutely can lose you momentum. If you squander it the way the Bruins do, like they don't even, they aren't even setting it up at this point. And like, I'm not trying to like, you know, tell NHL players how to run, you know, especially some of the best offensive players in the world, how to, how to run a power play. Um, but it's, cl- I, I think at one point tonight, I, I, I picked up on the hot mic. I, I think uh, like I could hear Martian on the bench, like yelling at somebody on the Bruins bench, but like the whole effing side's open or something like that. It's like, you know, the guys care. They have a lot of pride in what they do, but you can definitely sense that they're very, very frustrated with how things are going. And it's starting to creep into their, their play because they're gripping the sticks too tight. Yeah, 0 for 3 on the night, so now it's an 0 for 20 stretch. Uh, and only two shots on goal on three power plays. So to your point, like, just into the point I made with, like, the top line, like, just start getting into the net. Like, you know, I know they're they're doing the whole shot quality over quantity thing, but when you're not getting the quality either, like, it's okay to just try quantity for a little bit and see if that get something going, see if you can get an ugly one. Like uh, clearly whatever else they're doing isn't working. And we did see another change. You know, we've seen a few changes from Montgomery over this 
this stretch here, but the latest one is uh, he moves Felino up to the top unit tonight. Um, you know, we had t- touched on this on the last podcast. I didn't love the look that had, you know, Marshand as kind of the sort of net front guy, but he doesn't really play at the net front. Like, I, I didn't love that because I, I feel like they were missing more of a true net front presence. Felino gives them that, but it didn't didn't matter tonight. Uh, they didn't even really get the opportunities to take advantage of that. Um, again, another thing that, you know, DeBrusque helps when he returns because he was playing well in that role, but that switch alone, like whatever's going on in the net front, it doesn't matter if pucks aren't getting there in the first place. So, you know, it's, it's everyone else has to, has to figure it out and has to do a better job just getting, getting pucks around that net front area. Um, even if it's ugly, like, like you said, Brian, like even if it's just throwing it down there, looking for sticks, skates, whatever. But even, I feel like even the bumper area, they haven't been able to get the puck to as much recently either. Like they haven't been able to kind of get that like triangle passing going. They, they haven't been able to get it into the, into the middle, whether that be in the crease or in the slot very much. Well, to your point earlier, Bridget, like they're not Bergeron in particular, the last, you know, couple of weeks of games, I mean, obviously take away the the two weeks that they had off, like, and, and maybe my eyes are deceiving me, but I just feel like he's lost a few more, you know, off at his own faceoffs on on a, to start a power play than he has in the past. And, and that's a killer, right? Like if you, if you're not, if you don't have possession off of a faceoff, well, then they're, they're icing it and it takes off 25, 30 seconds. And now you have to start getting that zone entry that you've been struggling to do. And then when they do get in the zone, like you're again, the, the puck retrieval uh, without DeBrusque just hasn't been as good. And I can't, and this is nothing against DeBrusque. I, I'm honestly dumbfounded that I'm sitting here saying that the puck retrieval has gone to, gone to waste because DeBrusque isn't there. Like other people should be able to retrieve pucks. You have five guys, they have four. So it's just like everything about the power play, they're overthinking it. They're overthinking the faceoffs, the entries, the puck retrievals. And then when they do have possession, that's when the real overthinking happens. So I don't, I think they're just going to work their way out of this. It, honestly, it can just take a, a game where they go, you know, three for four in a power play and, and they're off and running. I think, you know, I think Pasternak scoring tonight in overtime was big for him. Um, it's, you know, the guy's got what, 39 goals in the year, 38 going into tonight. You don't really think he needs a confidence boost, but when you are that good and you have a miniature hiatus from scoring, um, it's good for him to get, that that one tonight for him as well, and and maybe that can translate to the power play next next chance they get. Well, in McAvoy on on that winning goal, seeing one of his passes to Pasternak end up in the net, where you know as the quarterback of the top unit, I'm sure he's feeling kind of feeling some pressure of like I'm not making enough happen. You know, my passes aren't leading to good chances. Uh, so even just for him to to see that connection work like maybe that can help translate to the power play somehow yeah he he put it right in the area Posnock needed it to to shoot it so and and it's kind of funny as I was getting my stuff to to come down and record I saw the the highlight of Posnock on the finish and he just falls down and like goes upside down on his back like he was so excited about that goal I mean sometimes scoring one in overtime makes you feel even a little bit better about it but um I want to he looked like an upside down turtle he did he he did a little bit there um I want to look ahead 
for a second to the next game uh, against Nashville. So that's coming up on Thursday. No. Yes. Yes. Thursday. <laughs> Sorry. For a second, I forgot what day of the week it is. Um, it's Valentine. Well, it's not Valentine's Day anymore, actually, because um, it's past midnight. But um, so looking ahead to that. And Scott, looking- did you get- Scott, did you get my chocolates I sent you, by the way? <laughs> Yes, no. thanks. You got I, it, did it. I did it. I did it. Oh, they're coming. They're on their way. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, so that's they're gonna be in Nashville on Thursday. And so DeBrusque is expected to be back. No sick made the trip. Scott, is he what are the expectations for him? No, he's still got probably another two weeks and it. He might have even had a, a setback in Montgomery. Uh I think this was uh, sometime last week. So I don't know if there's been an update since, but said that he, he got back on the ice and it didn't really go as well as they were hoping. So they were like holding him off again. So I would anticipate like end of February at the earliest for no and might even linger into March. Yeah. So he, I'm guessing he made the trip mostly because it was the siblings trip. So it was kind yeah. of a special thing for everyone. Um, it was kind of funny. They talked to Marshawn's, brother who uh decided to make a joke and say that one one thing you don't know about marshawn is that he's into poetry uh and he loves shakespeare (laughs) um but no uh it was a special trip for them kind of weird it fell on valentine's day but yeah all the all the siblings made made the trip uh it was funny seeing bergeron's brother looks like what bergeron would look like if he hadn't broken his nose like 15 times (laughs) Yeah, I also noticed that AJ Greer's brother um, has kind of been a star of this trip because he looks like uh, like eighty percent of guys around Boston. Uh, he <laughs> seems to fit in. He showed up to the to the plane. He was like brown bagging it. I don't know. I don't know if that was his luggage or what. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny seeing this the siblings. Um, but they, if if you haven't seen it, like Bruins Instagram has a bunch of pictures of the guys. Um, I don't know if you guys talked about Carlos horrible mullet. That's a thing now. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I was I was looking I think, through all I the think pictures. He, uh, I think he ended up cutting that. I think I think that may have been a few days ago that they took uh, that. As of these pictures, that mullet still existed. <laughs> Not as dramatic, but I mean, I he's, he's he, been playing well recently, so I, I would keep it. But yeah, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really cool of the Bruins to, um, you know, usually it's the mom's trip or the dad's trip. I thought that was that was a unique twist on it. Um, yeah, Bridget, to your point, like, like you see him quickly in the in the in the suite, and you're like, oh, that's Bridget. Oh, that's not that's not Bridgeron. He looks similar enough, but it's you know obviously as most siblings do, right? Shocker, Brian. But um, me and my brother don't look anything alike. No. No. Well, it's 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 not, it's not always just a given, but yeah, I thought it was a uh, I thought it was pretty pretty cool to see that that they did that for the for the and you know obviously like you have a lot you have a lot of a lot of siblings traveling from from Europe, right? So that's that's you know pretty cool for them. Yeah, and another interesting angle there is a uh, McAvoy's sister who works for the Rangers, so got some time off and you know now is on a trip with the Bruins wearing a Bruins jersey. So like she was saying, uh, yeah, like I I know I'm gonna hear it from everyone I work with when I get back to the Rangers. Oh, by the way, off off topic, but kind of on topic. I I heard I heard McAvoy, he did an interview on a on a podcast. Um I think for one of it may have been some some of his college friends or something like that. I don't really know, but it was, it was back um around the winter classic or just after it. Um did you know that Charlie McAvoy is engaged to 
Mike Sullivan's daughter, the Penguins coach. I so I actually didn't know they were engaged. I think I heard that like that they were dating. I think I that sounds familiar. So at the Winter Classic, she was there cheering on her uh, her fiance and her dad going against each other. I just that that that's what a small world, right? That's that's crazy. Um. Anyway, that, that was BU connections. Day. Yeah, gets you get degrees and you get uh, you get wedding rings too. I guess there so. Good for them. Where's Scott's? Scott's yeah, not, not, not me. I missed the <laughs> I missed the wedding ring part, but uh, you got you got the diploma. That's all that matters. Yeah, this um, is this this Valentine's Day. Uh, you know, we we're all very single, so we don't we don't have to deal with anything on Valentine's Day. So the um the trade rumors, Scott, are still are still going around there. What's what's the latest in the uh, in the NHL trades? Yeah, it seems like rumor. there's like a new one every day. So you know, we had touched on on the Chikrin stuff on the last podcast. So we won't go too deep into that one other than just to note that obviously nothing has happened yet. Um, Bruins continue to be linked there, but does sound like the Kings are the favorites. So we'll see if something ends up happening with the Kings or if it falls through and someone else swoops in. It also sounds like the Coyotes once again, might just keep them because again, they don't have to trade him now. Like he does have two years left after this. So, um, you know, they still have more windows to potentially move them. Uh, they were linked to Luke Shen again. That came up, um, that they're one of the favorites there. I think that was David Pagnata of the fourth period who reported that they're one of the favorites along with Calgary. Um, he also reported the asking price for Shen as a third round pick plus to which I would say, you know, it depends on what that plus is. If it's like a mid to lower tier prospect, I'd be fine with it. You know, I, I think that's a little steep um, for a guy who's probably going to be a seventh defenseman if everyone's healthy, but not, you know, still digestible. Like, I, I still think that'd be fine. Uh, then they got Andy Strickland, um, who's tied into the Blues. He's their ringside reporter, hosts the Cam and Strick podcast. He said the Bruins are very interested in Ivan Barbashev, um, who'd be a player that Montgomery is familiar with, uh, coached him for two years in St. Louis. Um, so, yeah, I think those have been the big ones. Uh, you know, St. Louis is interesting because there's a few forwards there if you're looking for help. You know, it, all reports are Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly is available. That one's a little tougher given his cap hit. Um, and then there's also old friend Nolachari there. So, a few different options, but uh, you know, by name, they've been linked to Barbashev. Which, uh, you know, and I mentioned this online, but like Bruins fans know Barbashev from the uh, the Cup Finals, where I think at the time he was part of their fourth line, maybe. Yeah. And uh, him and him and Sunquist, and um, you know, I I mainly remember him from he actually kind of clipped uh, Johansson with a kind of like a headshot, if, if I remember correctly, um, but. As as the following year, I mean, he was an effective player. He got in on the four check, and that that was an effective line for St. Louis. And then um, the succeeding years, he kind of I think he may have cracked twenty goals one at at one point. Um, he kind of got that finishing touch, which I th- you know I don't think he had necessarily all that much in the nineteen finals. But um, depending on the price for him, I think he, I think he would be you know a good fit. Um, I'm not going to pretend to say it, like I watch a ton of them on both sides of the puck, but. Um, you know, if he if he does have 
some less than stellar defensive metrics, he wouldn't be the first player to come to Boston with that and then turn it around in this system. So a lot of times that's based on where you are, not what you're capable of. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, like Ryan O'Reilly or Jonathan Tate, like there, 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 there's options. I don't know how it's all going to work out on the back end. I'm, I'm, I'm done guessing. I'm, I'm just counting the days until, until the deadline's over so I can see what's what, and who's, who has who and, and size up all the team, all the playoff teams. Um, so how, 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 how long do we have until the deadline? What's today? The fifth? Just over two weeks. It's yeah. March 3rd. So it's just barely over uh, two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so another name that we had mentioned on the last podcast, Vladislav Gavrikov in, in Columbus. Uh, there's a report on Tuesday that uh, teams have sticker shock was the quote over the asking price for him which is apparently a first round pick, a third round pick and a fourth round pick to which I would say, ha, nice try. Like that, that is insane. Vladislav Gavrikov is a nice player. I think he would play for the Bruins. Like he, he wouldn't be a seventh D. I think he would probably play on their third pairing. Um, but no way in hell I'm giving that up. Like he's not enough of an upgrade over what you already have that you're giving up three picks at, I wouldn't give up a first for him, period, regardless of the other picks. He's not Lindholm. Like, (laughs) it's not the same thing. Like, yeah, that's ridiculous. And and he's a rental. And he's a rental who apparently doesn't want to discuss an extension. So, yeah, no, no thanks on that for pretty much every team, not just the Bruins. That's not really that makes your negotiate your negotiations like even less strong if you're trying to get that first round pick like that that takes away from what you can ask and the, the asking price if that's true is too high in the first place it it reminds me of something like the dumbest person in my fantasy football league would suggest like i'll trade you um for two of your best players i'll trade you you know my kicker and <laughs> yeah so that that's what that reminds me of a good try but um no it's an easy decline so Watching the game tonight against against Dallas, Dallas kind of reminded me a little bit um, of their size and just just their intensity, um, and also not having. I mean, Jason Robertson, yes, but like not having a ton of star power. No pun intended. They kind of reminded me a, lot, a little bit of the way Carolina plays. And so watching the Bruins tonight, it was very much like a playoff t- type game. Watching the Bruins play a team like that, did it? Did it? Was it easier to kind of see what what the Bruins might need if you're Don Sweeney in a game like that, as opposed to like if they were playing like say Columbus or something like on a Tuesday at the Garden? Um, yes, but you know I feel like the the thing that you would take away from this game and be like, oh, here's what they need is you know would be another top six forward, right? Because they have to move guys in and out and they're double shifting pasta knock. And it's like, okay, well that's Jake DeBrusque and he's returning in two days. So it's a little like you still are going to need some evaluation time with your full lineup. And obviously the Bruins had that before. And when they had their full lineup before they were winning pretty much every game. So, um, you know, to me, like, I don't think any glaring weaknesses were, were exposed, but just to, you know, kind of what we've been saying all along is like, at the very least you need depth, like just 
more bodies, more guys who are capable of playing. Because I do also think like the stretch now where, you know, we we all like the fourth line tonight, but where you have a game like last game where those guys get benched and you're not really comfortable relying on them. And Smith's ice time has been all over the place. Like, I think it maybe highlights that, you know, another, another forward who can play regularly and fill in, um, you know, seems like something that could be, that could be useful, especially if it's someone who can play the way that they want to play in the bottom six, but also provide some punch, which is where I think a guy like Barbashev comes in, you know, his defense isn't quite what I would want in that role. He does bring some physicality and obviously there, there is some talent there for a guy who is having a down year this year, but did have 60 points last season. So I think we're rounding third. I think, I think Bridget has a a sizable lead off third. Um, We're in the, we're in the stretch here. So Bridget, I'm going to throw it to you. Is there anything else you wanted to cover before, before we sign out? No. Oh, beautiful. She just she just got tossed out <laughs> leading off there, and so she's out. Oh, All right. No. no, I made it home. I slid back, home. <laughs> See you guys back, later. Back to the dugout for some big league chew for you. <laughs> um, Scott, how about yourself? Oh, I love big league chew. I haven't had that in forever. Oh, it's the best. Grape, right? Gotta go grape. Yeah. No, no well, grape. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Power. bed tonight with dreams of big league chew. <laughs> All right. Well, then, if you guys are all set. What an exciting Valentine's Day, Scott. <laughs> if you guys are all set, then I think we're good to sign off. I so, um, the next, so yeah, so I just want to double check here. So, the Bruins, so 40 wins, eight losses, five overtime losses. Next game is uh, Thursday in Nashville, and we'll be covering that game as well. Um, which, by the way, that's the real reason that this is the siblings trip is that they're going to Nashville. Nashville, well, Nashville, and Dallas are those are two pretty good cities to be on, though. That's pretty fun. But yeah, yeah Nashville for sure is, is 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 better than Dallas. All right, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you later this week. <laughs>